every single company is a publisher and it's incredibly important that they're creating useful content. And if they're not creating content, then you're already losing the game. Uh, I saw mm -hmm. a stat, the stat was about 70 to 80% of the buying decision has already been made before the person picks up the phone, reaches out to a salesperson, which means mm -hmm. that if I'm talking about those kind of final steps, all your salesperson does is either screw up the deal or close it. And so SaaS products yeah. have been around prior to 2008. And a lot of companies still think about this like, ah, oh, heavy lifting from a sales perspective. And in fact, you know, they'll like make a customer participate in five or six follow-up calls and the customers just get annoyed because they're like, I've already done yeah. all my research. Like I've gotten it down. I just need you to show me like, what is the product and how much does it cost? Because I'm ready to buy. Every SaaS company plays for high stakes. But what does it take to dominate the market right now? Welcome to Paris Talks Marketing, the podcast where we dive deep into the latest trends and strategies in SaaS marketing that are really working today. I'm your host, Paris, and our guests are SaaS CMOs, founders, and specialists, and we discuss one trendy topic in the industry per episode. Ready to unlock the true power of marketing strategy? In this theme, we'll explore the world of cutting-edge marketing strategies and tactics, that are shaking up the SaaS industry. We'll share insights on testing new tactics and uncover the latest developments from digital landscape giants like Google, Facebook, and LinkedIn. We'll also explore how AI is revolutionizing the digital landscape and transforming marketing tactics. So grab your headphones and get ready for a marketing strategy masterclass with Paris Talks Marketing. Hi, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of Paris Talks Marketing. And today, my guest is Eric Holtzclaw. Eric is a visionary, an idea guy, and a serial entrepreneur. With expertise in tech and marketing, Eric's more than 30 years of experience has made him sought after by Fortune 500, Global 2000, and mid-sized companies alike. Today, Eric is a founding partner and chief strategist at Liger, one of Inc. 5000's fastest growing companies of 2022, where he's able to combine his three loves, business, technology, and people, and guide businesses to find their identities and core values, craft their visions, and establish their brands. Eric has also contributed to magazines and online publications and wrote the book, Laddering, Unlocking the Potential of Consumer Behavior. Eric, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. Appreciate it. Uh, there's so many places we could start, but you have coined a phrase called the modern day marketing maze, which is very intriguing. Can you tell us what is the modern day marketing maze and how do we make sense of it? So... If we talk about that, we need to do a little bit of a history lesson. So if you go back to marketing okay. prior to 2008, it was much simpler. Marketing's job was to drive people to your doorstep and then to convert them through a very controlled path. So even on websites, we would want to drive someone to a homepage, find out what they were going to click on next, kind of take them through that path and optimize it. But in 2008, here in the U.S., because I know you're not in the U.S., we had the recession, right? So like we had this big recession that occurred and people think that a lot of the changes that happened were because of the recession. But also in 2008, we were introduced to three incredibly disruptive technologies. So we all started being able to use social media. So Facebook wasn't just for people in college anymore. Everyone could join. Twitter, those mm -hmm. kind of things started to come on board. We also got smartphones and we got ubiquitous mm -hmm. internet. So you had internet everywhere. So those three things combined dramatically changed the customer's buying process. And instead mm -hmm. of customers, that's truly when customers were in charge. And so instead of coming to your homepage, they started looking up information in other parts of the internet on you. And they would be in the store looking at their smartphone before they would make that purchase. 
And so this customer mm-hmm. journey got broken up and we went from about seven to 10 times that I needed to see a brand or idea to about 21, 21 mm-hmm. times that I need to see something before I even realize it. And it needs to be in places other than your advertising or your website. It has to be inside my ecosystem places. And so marketing's job got a lot harder. We needed to start making yeah. our brands kind of show up everywhere. Uh, make yeah, sure there's kind of an explosion in, in channels. Yeah. Uh, one of those days. Yeah. And so that's what's changed, but I still have conversations. I had one last week with someone who's kind of old school and doesn't really understand new marketing. And he just kept talking about things that were cited prior to 2008. I'm like, you were right. For 2008, that's how it worked. It's not how it works today, which is why mm-hmm. Every single company is a publisher and it's incredibly important that they're creating useful content. And if they're not creating content, then you're already losing the game. Uh, I saw a Mm -hmm. stat, the stat was about 70 to 80% of the buying decision has already been made before the person picks up the phone, walks into your store, reaches out to a salesperson, which means Mm -hmm. that if I'm talking about those kind of final steps, all your salesperson does is either screw up the deal or close it. And so marketing's heavy lifted. This the best thing they can do is is just get out of the way and simply facilitate because somebody's coming in pretty much with their mind made up. Yeah, and yeah, Yeah. you you have to facilitate and don't 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 lose it. And I know that your audience is yeah primarily SaaS, right? So SaaS products have been around prior to 2008, and a lot of companies still think about this like ah heavy lifting from a sales perspective. And in fact, you know they'll like make a customer participate in five or six follow-up calls and the customers just get annoyed because they're like, I've already done all my research. Like I've gotten it down. I just need you to show me like, what is the product and how much does it cost? Cause I'm ready to buy. Mm-hmm. And so if you're yeah. thinking of these kind of old school ways, then you're probably not seeing the conversion that you'd hope or expect. Yeah. Yeah. I think that there, there was the, the modern day marketing maze is kind of really a proclamation that the classic funnel, the linear funnel is, is dead. And people, people don't move in a linear fashion. They have so much exposure to the potential touch points on, through so many channels and, and even devices. So it's more about just you being everywhere, having a presence uh, that's consistent and presence not trying to move people. Yeah, consistent, but also thinking about the fact that the job of marketing became really complicated. And so it went from mm-hmm. just a, a small set of skill sets that you need to have to my agency has 25 different skills, distinct skill sets, and we mm-hmm. put them in place depending upon where that client is and their kind of process at different times. It's very difficult as a marketer to, you're managing, you're basically, you're producing videos and you have to manage my technology and you have to understand the brand voice. Like there's so many things that fall on the marketer's mm-hmm. plate and it's sometimes not understood by the marketer and certainly not often understood by the companies they work with. So yeah. You give the marketers a little bit more respect than they get. Yeah, I, I agree with that. And so what, how do we make sense of all this? I mean, is there a new way to, to compartmentalize these skill sets and, uh, and to communicate that to our, to our clients and stakeholders? Yeah, so that is kind of thinking about career paths and the way that things work. So you want to own within your kind of company the things that you're going to do on a pretty regular basis, which is your brand voice, brand identity, those types of things. But if there are things you're only going to do occasionally, that's when you lean into a firm like Liger or otherwise to do those pieces that are not like either your primary skill set or something that you need on an ongoing basis. You kind of can tap into them when you're looking for them. So if we think about Mm -hmm. what you need to look at from an ecosystem perspective, you've got to have a really good website, but the website needs to be your best brochure. So whatever it is, your, our digital property, create content on that next ring 
and you need to create enough content that you're interesting to Google and Bing and all the other search engines. Because the little secret is they're not there to drive traffic to your site. That's not what they're there to do. They're there to answer somebody's question. Because most of the time when yeah. people go to search, they're searching for some kind of problem they're trying to solve. And then we think about social media and SEO on that outer ring. And so the further you get out from the ring, the more you should be relying on experts in those categories because they are seeing patterns and things happening mm -hmm. within those rings across their portfolio, where you may be working within a certain company and you only get to see a little part of it. So we're often in our portfolio. One of the things that our clients appreciate is that we are seeing trends and patterns happening across the portfolio and we can advise them on what they should be trying or not trying, where they're living within their own company. And they're like, we've done this thing for years. And it's like, yeah, that worked like a year ago, but it doesn't anymore, mm -hmm. right? This is not not your finance department where we do a P&L and a balance sheet every month. Just, hey, there was a P&L process and that's always the same. Marketing is constantly yeah. changing. Yeah. So let's pivot over to another, another popular pair of concepts, which is demand generation and lead generation. And most of our SaaS listeners out there are obsessed with one of those two things or both of those two things. So Demand generation is usually measured in MQLs, marketing qualified leads, and lead gen is mostly measured in SQLs or sales qualified leads. But then these terms, demand gen and lead gen, are also used interchangeably, I think. So I don't think there's a clear understanding of the, of the real distinction. But how do you see those two things? How are, they, how are they different? So we talk about, we use a word internally called BATCOM, B-A-T-C-O-M. And I wish it were a Liger term. So Liger is named after a movie, Napoleon Dynamite. So it's kind of this like funky little movie, but Batcom sounds more like Batman. But I haven't been able to figure out a better way. And so yeah. if you think about Batcom, it's branding, awareness, traffic, conversion, optimization, and maintenance. So that's the mm -hmm. path that you're taking somebody across. Everybody wants mm -hmm. conversion. And in order to get conversion, you have to have traffic. And so if we think about lead gen, lead gen primarily focuses on conversion and traffic. And then when mm -hmm. we start to think about demand gen, we're thinking about awareness and brand. So there's a handoff a little bit, like if you're getting good awareness, you'll take people to traffic. But what is the tactic that you're putting in place and what its primary purpose? Because what I see companies do is they try to make one marketing tactic carry too mm -hmm. much burden. Like we want this ad or this thing to like make people aware of us, understand what we do drive traffic and convert. And that's not possible. Each one of the things across that path needs to have yeah. its own sort of thing. And when you get to really sophisticated marketing, you get into the O and the M, which is optimization and maintenance. Because regrettably, marketing can be kind of like a, a slot machine. So you put money in and you hope you're going to get something back. But the longer you do mm -hmm. it, the more consistent you are, the more it becomes a vending machine. You put <clears throat> money in and you get something. So that's where the optimization and maintenance come in. So when we're talking mm -hmm. with clients, we want to know where are you in the journey? Are you relatively new to the market? People don't know who you are. We're going to do more branding and awareness activities and get demand. Gen. People starting to like look for you, understand you as a business, that type of thing. And then as you move across mm -hmm. and we have done all the right things and we're getting a lot of organic traffic, we start to then introduce mm -hmm. some paid and some other things to get us into traffic and conversion with our ultimate goal of getting you to a good place of just optimization and maintenance. So we're carrying people from demand gen to lead gen and we can use more paid tactics for lead gen, a little bit on the demand gen side, but you can't expect conversion off of a demand gen exercise or, or. Right. When you have clients that are, that have shorter either patience or tolerance for the results, would it sometimes make sense to, to flip that and to say, we're going to focus on the, 
on the lead gen or the demand capture part because, well, you know, maybe we've got just about three months or three to six months to show some quick wins and to show something more tangible in terms of return on investment. And that's going to build the confidence and build the trust with that client. And then we'll move in reverse and we'll move up the funnel towards demand gen once we've gotten those quick wins and we have a little, a little bit more breathing room and maybe a little bit more budget. Well, yeah. So, so I would argue that the budget isn't any less on either side. So if I'm doing lead gen type activities, I'm going to probably spend a lot of money on lead gen. Mm -hmm. some heavy lifting, something that people may not know. They don't understand that I'm a solution. There may be a contender already in that market and I'm like spending against them. So it is not cheaper to do lead gen than it is demand gen. It is faster, um, mm -hmm. but I liken it to, I had an ice maker in my refrigerator that broke. And so every time I wanted ice, I had to go to the store and buy ice and bring it home. That's just mm -hmm. paying for lead gen. It would have been smarter for me to fix the ice maker, right? So like if we don't fix yeah. the ice maker, we're just going to continue to pay for ice. And the second we decide not to go to the store and pay for ice, we lose all. And so I see clients mm -hmm. leaning too heavily often into lead gen to try to suck them at the fact they didn't do their marketing soon enough. We as Liger work primarily with B2B companies. We do a lot of SaaS and we won't take an emergency client. There's someone who comes to me and says, hey, we're launching something in 30 days. I'm like, good luck, Godspeed. Because we know that at the end of the day, it's very hard to heavy lift it. And it's also going to, they're going to be frustrated. We may be potentially frustrated too. We will have clients who come to us who are spending a ton of money on the lead gen mm -hmm. side. What we do is exactly what you talked about is we start to introduce some things that are demand gen that can replace and make their marketing way more efficient. Because if they're done in concert, mm -hmm. one feeds the other. You can't just do demand gen. You just can't do that and not lead gen because you, you'll get to the end of your mm -hmm. organic reach and then you're not getting really the conversion you expect. So it's nice to get to that point. But when you are doing what you're talking about, person who poorly planned, who waited for the lesson, and they're like, we just need to get leads in. It's also transactional versus relationals. I will give that caveat of like, we are a relational company. We work with clients that have complicated product that they're trying to sell, things like that. So you mm -hmm. could have SaaS that's like a transactional, so it's really just solving a small problem. That can work better in the lead gen category, but it's typically short-lived, mm -hmm. right? Like, I tell people yeah. we don't sell soda pop or t-shirts because that's much easier to do. And you can just do lead gen like, hey, I'll give you, you know, two for one or whatever. If I need to educate mm -hmm. you and it's going to be a dangerous decision, then we think about relational on what we're trying to accomplish so that you trust me and you're willing to do something that, that may get you fired. You know, you, you decide to choose some new product to put into your company. If your boss doesn't like it, you may not get that next promotion. Like those dangerous decisions yeah. are the kind of categories mm -hmm. we live in. Yeah. So let's talk about content now, because content can be developed for demand gen or lead gen, certainly. I mean, you could have content that is geared towards conversion, direct response. You could also have content for educating people, providing utility and creating brand awareness. Let's talk about the content that converts and, and how you differentiate if uh, you've got a content team supporting demand gen efforts and lead gen efforts. How do they think about the types of content and particularly the content that will convert? So knowing that you need to put out all different types of content because you have different audience members coming in at different times. And what we talk about is looking at your company as a magazine and not a catalog. So most companies present themselves as a catalog. Here are all the features and functions. This is how they work, yada, mm -hmm. yada, yada. We want to talk about the stories, like that. what's, what's happening? How does this apply? Or how can you teach me something along the way? If you watch any reality television or any of these like, 
know, home improvement shows. That's basically what they are. They're just these magazines promoting products and people and ways to do things. Think about your company in the same way. So we'll create a calendar and we want to think about awareness, education, top of mind, and, and kind of like, where are we on the funnel? It's like, how aware are they of us? And at the top, you're really educating them about who are you and where do you live? And then you, you know, like, what do you do within the ecosystem? Then how do I apply that to what I'm doing? And, you know, generically, don't just talk about yourself. Like, tell me all these other kind of things that might fit. And then use, like, once I have the product, how do I use it? How do I know that it's actually going to be sticky? That's, that's a marketing function as well, because we don't want to have people who try and never buy. Or I, I signed up for something a couple of weeks ago and they give you like two days to use it. It was incredibly complicated. And so I'm like, well, I'm not going to buy it because I didn't have enough time to actually use the thing. And you didn't give me enough information on how, how to make that happen. And then we yeah. also know our existing customers are our best. So how do you stay top of mind? How do you stay in front of them so that they'll come back and buy more, buy again, your guy, you know, increase that share of wallet, right? So mm -hmm. you're producing, people will tend to focus on one or companies will focus on one, but you need to create a content calendar that focuses on all four of those categories, such that you're putting out kind of an equal amount of content within a pillar. Mm -hmm. But having a pillar of content, then you can start to be relevant in search terms. You're relevant when I'm fine, see you on social media, those types of things. So we want to mm -hmm. concentrate that content into a category, put out enough, and then move on to maybe another topic that's within what you, you cover or do. Even like a tire store, I like to use a fine tires. That could be a catalog. You could go to a tire store's website and they'll tell you like, buy the 13 inch mission, whatever they talk about. I don't know anything about tires, right? Really boring catalog, whatever. Or you could tell me winter's coming, which are the best kind of tires for winter driving. Much more interesting, mm -hmm. you know, and some of the tires you sell are in there. Like, why would I pick those? And you've educated me on something and now I'm more interested versus just showing me a catalog of everything that you do. Yeah. Well, I like the pillar. Um, we talk a lot about the pillar cluster modeling also. And I think the, the added, there's also another benefit simply from an, a pure SEO standpoint, which is that that link architecture where you have a pillar page and it links out to a lot of cluster pages and then cluster pages link back to the pillar. The, the link architecture itself looks like a hub and a spoke. And yes. when Google bot comes and crawls that and it's constantly following links into these pillar pages and seeing the relationship, they assign topical authority around those topics to, to the website or to the domain as a whole. So you can, yeah. you can grow your domain rating, your domain authority faster. And then that's the rising tide that lifts all boats for SEO. And your domain rating. We redo websites. We do them in that fashion. We think about audience pages. So how can I build a page that people are going to come to and get a bunch of information as an audience, right? Mm -hmm. And I'll tell clients, everybody there for a period of time, like talk about old school marketing, like how many people visit our homepage? Like, I don't care. I don't ever want them yeah. on your homepage. In fact, if they've gone to your homepage, I think we fail because we should be deep linking them to something that they're actually interested in within your site and then continuing mm -hmm. to feed them enough content that keeps them educated and engaged. So this focus yeah. on like driving more people to the homepage that's an old vanity metric that a lot comes. So yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think I think the homepage should really be only for brand brand terms and efforts at building brand awareness. I think you can measure that. You can measure that by brand search, brand search volume, and and that will probably land all on the homepage. So you can also look at your homepage traffic. But if your homepage traffic is represented by non-brand keywords, 
then that means that there's something wrong because you haven't built the, the right pages to answer those non-brand questions or the search intent. And those pages, that's content waiting to be written, probably. Yeah. 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 Great. Now, a quick word from our sponsor. The Paris Talks Marketing Show is affiliated with Hop Online, a performance marketing agency focused on high-growth SaaS and other recurring revenue-based companies. If you like the flow of this conversation, you may want to consider jumping on a discovery call with someone at Hop Online. A discovery call is similar to my podcast interviews in a lot of ways. We'll get to know your business goals, competitive landscape, and marketing needs. And you'll almost certainly come away with some new ideas for how to accelerate your customer and revenue growth. If you're interested, go to hop.online, that's hop, H-O-P, dot online, and book a discovery call with one of our strategists today. Now, back to the episode. Let's, let's move over a little bit to the career side of this. And we've talked about the modern day marketing maze and you, your agency's got 25 different skill sets. Yeah. So I imagine that hiring for those skill sets, first, let me ask, are there 25 unique roles in the organization or is it more that the skill sets are, are distinct within There's, a smaller set of roles? Yeah, so we're set up in pods to, to service the different clients, but then we have pillars of like who, people who do what, and there's different kinds of content, things like that. So typically people have one superpower, so they're really good at one thing. Like I'm good at midterm, mid-level writing. So like I'm better at like a, you know, blogs to a book kind of thing, you know, and then mm -hmm. other people are better at like headlines and social media and whatever to still writing, but two totally different kind of things. So understanding yeah. what a person's kind of superpower is and what maybe just ancillary and don't let me, I shouldn't draw anything. I think so it's <laughs> a good thing that we have like designers. And so, but then in design, you know, there's designers who are better at print and some that are better at web and some that are like, you have to think about like, what's their course. And then, yeah, maybe they can do some things on the ancillary, but that's going to take them longer and you probably won't get as good a product. So what is it that that person does? And so the problem I see in school, I've got a friend of mine, their son just graduated and he wants a job in marketing. And I'm like, you do understand like that's the largest, broadest term you've ever said, right? Like that's like saying, I want a job. Right? I want a job in business. In business, <laughs> right? Because there's so many different things that that could mean, but. Early in your career, you typically are more of a generalist and you come into a company and really I would try to find, I, if I were coming in as a new person, I would want to go to work for an agency or a firm because you could experience lots of different things. You know, they're going to like put you on this project and put you on that thing. So you can start to learn like what kind of companies and things do I like to work on? And then what do I like to do within that? You know, so like, is it, do I prefer technology companies or do I prefer this? Then as you get older. You start to realize what sort of comes for you naturally and you start to specialize. And so specialization in marketing should be the goal of most people as they're sort of maturing their career. Also understanding mm -hmm. that things like artificial intelligence could come in and start to remove part of what you do. So it's not just about being yeah. able to tactically do something. It's the strategic application. Because like I've been through a lot of technology disruptions. And artificial intelligence is a technology disruption that is here to stay, is not going away. The genie is out of the bottle. Jobs that used to exist Absolutely. don't any longer. So you have to be good at curating what's being created by the artificial intelligence and use it almost as an assistant or tool for creation. So marketers have to kind of continue to fine tune those skills. And if you don't and you're like, mm -hmm. I do this and this is the kind of thing I do, then you may find yourself wanting a job later. So the more you can get into the strategic yeah. application, the better. So, 
Hey, Eric, do you think it's a good job even during an interview process now for many of these roles is to ask people to, to produce something with the assistance of generative AI? 100%. And, 100%. and then observe how to do that? Yeah, I do too. 100%. And we, we played some games here at the company and I've done them otherwise of like, can you tell if this was written by AI or not? And about, you normally can't. You can normally tell when something was written by AI or when it was touched by mm -hmm. someone. So having someone take a piece that's been created because it's like, it's an assistant. It's assisting you with, you know, mm -hmm. I love to use it, like write something and then say, hey, give me a couple versions of this. And then it may come back with, some, well, I could have used that word or that's a great way or that's a little cleaner, that kind of thing. But I'm not going to mm -hmm. wholesale pick something up and move it over. I'm going to use it as it's, I'm an insomniac. So I'll be up at like two or three o'clock in the morning. And so it never complains when I ask it a question or like, it's always there for me to work with it and do something, right? Seeing it mm -hmm. as for what it is, instead of as a threat, it is not a threat. It is something that allows us to do higher order work, which is really what humans mm -hmm. are meant to do is higher order work. Yeah, I, I agree. And I think in an interview setting, some candidates might initially think that, that, that this is like cheating on the interview, but in fact, it's quite the opposite. I mean, I think these tools, your clients, competitors, marketing teams are going to be using these tools. So you've got to be able to do them even better. Yeah. You've got to, you got to understand how to leverage them. Well, I get it back. So, so, be, so yeah, I could hear somebody saying that, but that's the case Then that person should have probably handwritten their resume and brought it in. And they probably didn't. They probably typed it up on a computer. That's still assistive technology, right? Like to make it look yeah. good and all those kind of things. So, or even using no a resume builder. Yeah. I mean, most people use that now. Yeah. It's no different. And it's mm -hmm. just that the white collar worker has been impacted by this technology in a way blue collar workers have been for years. We have robots that do things mm -hmm. that they used to do. Like it's the same thing and it is what happens. That's happened. a good analogy. Yeah. Technology disrupts rote work such that humans can concentrate on things that are higher order. That, that could be a little bit scary too, because there, there have been a lot of factories closed due to automation and I hope that doesn't hit marketing. But from a writing writer's perspective, you've seen, you know, a rise in the number of people looking for positions in that category. They aren't being able to demand the rights they were before. It's part of what happened with the writer strike that went on for five months here in the US. So you're kind of protecting that. Yeah, absolutely. And outside of agency life for career development, there's also corporate life and there's more of a like a corporate ladder for yes. marketing. Now how how has that changed in this this environment? So a lot of the a lot of the folks at our agency eventually not a lot but some have have moved on to corporate jobs and, and that's fine and in a lot of ways we see our agency as a springboard for a yeah. lot of that young talent to come in and get a great experience uh, for a few years and then and then go into corporate but then some of them get disappointed when they get to corporate that well now I only have one project and this is <laughs> this is all I have to work on and and then there's this corporate ladder so let's yeah. talk about that I mean what is what does the corporate ladder look like in marketing and how is it changing now with the yeah. modern day marketing maze and, and with the advent of, of generative AI? So that's a great, great topic. One, I've never been a really good corporate person. I'm unemployable. So, cause I'm the guy that comes in and like tells them what's terrible. Understanding their love. Hey, I've always said, yeah, I've said that about myself too. Yeah. So that's, that's why I've never been there, but I have had people who've worked for our agency and I've advised them that you probably should go work for a brand because they don't like yeah, things in agency change all the time and clients require yeah, those kind of things. If you want it to be more stable, you really should be on the corporate or, or brand side, right? But you need to lean into outside counsel. So I encourage my clients to bring me into the tough conversations internally because I'm that third party guy. I'm like, hey, look, we're seeing this across the industry. 
like letting someone else to kind of take the bullets for being uh, the way we're doing this is wrong. Like I've got a client right now and their company just restructured in a really terrible way, their marketing department. And I know it's terrible mm -hmm. because we're working with two other companies to help solve for the fact that they set themselves up. So I've encouraged her to lean into me and bring me in and you know, have me kind of help through that conversation because I can take the darts and then they don't ever have to see me again, but she has to stay there. It's her job. Right. So like she's mm -hmm. decided to make this move up so she can be like, yeah, that crazy guy, like either they listen to me or she calls me the crazy guy. And then I'm, you know, off and nobody sees me again. Right. So you using your be agency, the bad cop. I can be the bad cop. Let me be the bad cop all day mm -hmm. long. The other thing I see is improper representation of marketing at the executive level. So, and that happens a lot in SaaS companies. SaaS companies don't respect marketing and they don't have a CMO or a marketing leader sitting at the executive table. They may have someone who's kind of below and they're reporting into like the president or sales or something. And so their voice mm -hmm. is not properly heard. So I, if I were you, or if I were a person looking for corporate life, I would want to know that there was marketing representation at the executive level. And if there wasn't, I wouldn't want to work for that company. Because marketing mm -hmm. is always going to be considered a second-class citizen in that company. It's not going to listen to the strategies that marketing puts forward. You have to have someone at the executive level who's drumming the beat of marketing because it's a different look and feel. And marketing is so impactful across the organization that if that voice is not at the executive level, then you're already at loss. Yeah, it's a very, very good point. And I've seen that a lot as well. Yeah. Uh, even even a CEO who gets marketing, I think there's there's still... A way of a way of communicating with that CEO that you've got to you got to bring it down a level and and boil it down to return on investment. I mean, we can do these we can do any of these different five things, but this is the, the cost and benefit, or this is this what is we really expect to get work. back. And over yeah, what? Incredibly, that CEO may be an old white guy, and he learned marketing prior to two thousand eight, so he doesn't know some of the stuff mm -hmm. that's happening now. He's like, this is how we used to do it. It's like, well, that's not how we do it now. So you have to have someone who can have that like, candid mm -hmm. conversation and get that CEO to understand why putting more salespeople on the street may not be the way to solve the problem, right? So yeah. there, there has to be an awareness at that level of how important marketing is because it used to be a department and now it's a practice across the core the company. So it, it impacts everything from cradle to grave when a client customer shows up all the way through their customer service experience to when you even offboard them, like what does that feel like as a brand? And if marketing's not in those conversations, it gets dropped off. And then the brand promise, like then you have attrition. Customers promise all the stuff from marketing and then all of a sudden they become a customer and it's not exactly at all what they saw in the educational materials or the way that the brand is presented. Absolutely. Well, Eric, this has all been really very interesting, great topics. Is there, is there anything that I didn't ask you that you wished I would have asked or, or anything else that you think could benefit our audience? No, I mean, I'm, so I'm a recovering technologist. So I ran development shops early in my career and then under research company and now in marketing. And I really have kind of like waved through the stuff that's been, and I think, think marketing is a really great space to be at. It's, it can be very impactful within a company, can do great things, but in some cases you are prophesizing for people who are trying to convert them. And so you have to be comfortable with that because it's, um, it is a complicated part of the overall engine of a company, but I like that. I think that's fun. That means there's always a challenge, something new that needs to be solved. Yeah, absolutely. And and now the hot the hot thing is generative AI, and, and that's something else will come along probably in a few years. So it's yeah, it's very dynamic. Yeah. 
Great. Well, thanks very much for being with me today, Eric. And I hope you have a great day and looking forward to keeping in touch. Thanks so much for the invite. Another great episode in the books. Hope you enjoyed it. If you want to get notified when future episodes drop, be sure to subscribe to Paris Talks Marketing on your favorite podcast player. And to learn more about our growth marketing agency, visit hop.online. That's hop, H-O-P dot online. Have a great day.